On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio. I have something to say to you! Here's your host. The issue here, sir, is that everyone fucking hates you. Matt Robinson. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back inside episode 968 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. Matt Robinson here with you in our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Uh, glad to be welcoming back to the show a guy I don't think we've spoken to on here since uh, the beginning of the season back in October. Graham Nichols is here. How's it going, man? It's going well. How are you? Uh, no complaints. Um, it's It's been an interesting few weeks, few months around the Ottawa Senators beat. We thought we'd have you on and, and uh, you could clear some things up for us here. But uh, you know where we like to start. Have you tried anything good lately? Got anything going right now? What's uh, Where are we at uh, on the beer front? So I stopped at Ridge Rock this afternoon nice. from Carp, local brewery. Calvin DeHaan's associated with. He's one of the owners. Right. And I'm rocking their Bohemian Pilsner. Okay, I've had that one. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not bad. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a nice one I've had a few times. Ridge Rock was actually one of those places I stumbled across once uh, upon once the pandemic started, when everybody started doing delivery. Uh, Carp's a long way from uh, for me, but uh, when they said, yeah, we're going to start doing runs into the city, I was like, yeah, let me try that. It was great stuff. Carp is not a long way from the city. Come on. <laughs> Like, what's too far? Like 15 minutes? I guess. I don't have a car, so it's pretty far on the bus. Oh, (laughs) you high-maintenance urbanites. It's true, man. Um, (laughs) I got one going here. I I thought, I have to say, I thought the Leafs won last night, 3-2 series advantage with Tampa. I thought you were just going to, like, settle dig, lead off with the podcast in that direction. But, you know, you just went straight to the sense. I'm pretty, I'm trying to be pretty civil about it because there's still very much the uh, opportunity out in front of us that this goes horribly. I'm trying not to tempt fate here too badly. So um, this is, uh, I got one here from a place, uh, you know, when I talk about what's too far, uh, the Nita Beer Company is about a nine minute walk from my house. So that's about my, my range, right? Nice. Uh, So got something here from them. This is their uh, Bijou Brute IPA and uh, it's about 6.1%. I've had it a few times. It's, it's crisp, it's dry, it's, it's pretty hoppy, but it's a, it's a nice IPA on a, on a hot day, my man. Nice. You deserve it. It is really warm outside. For sure. Uh, let's start with, to me, maybe what's been the most interesting story. And we'll, we'll get to the Melnick stuff. We'll get to the uh, the draft lottery last night and what maybe lays ahead over the uh, the course of the offseason. But Pierre Maguire is uh, is no longer with the Ottawa Senators, and he lasted longer or than I thought he would and maybe I didn't know it would be him specifically but I said when he was hired one of the Pierres would be gone by Christmas 
and uh, obviously it lasted longer than that. Is this any more complicated than this was a Melnick hire and Melnick's gone and Dorian said, yeah, I don't need any part of this anymore. Or is there more to it than that? No, I think you're banging on. I think this is just a total power grab, right? By a guy who had no say in Maguire's hire. And um, you're right. I think this was a Eugene Melnick appointment. I think he admitted as much uh, when they were doing the media rants when they first announced the hiring. And, um, you know, Pierre Maguire was here for 10 months. And you wouldn't know it because he was invisible. You, you didn't see him, you know, for a guy who was brought in and admitted as such um, in his in his media tour right when he was hired that, you know, part of the reason he was brought in was to be a messenger for this organization. They didn't have a voice piece that people trusted or had any confidence in. And I think if you look at what um, Eugene Melnick did over his media appearances or what Pierre Dorian's done over his, um, they don't have anyone capable who can step in front of the microphone and uh, convey confidence to this fan base. And I think the goodwill and animosity that's built up over the years, um, well, the goodwill's dissipated, obviously, but the animosity's grown. I think apathy's set in because a lot of people just don't have confidence in, in what the organization has done and the confidence that they have in this management group to build a winner. And, uh, you know, they, they've put some nice pieces in place through the rebuild just from drafting high and uh, just having a wealth of draft picks. But, you know, it takes more than draft picks to, uh, build a winner you know you can look at teams like buffalo and edmonton as examples of that so nothing's ever given to you you have to work for it and you have to build a uh you have to build truly and and officially and ottawa hasn't done that aside from their draft picks so um dorian's in a weird spot right like my assumption is that this ownership group um sorry this board of governors or not even a board it's just board of directors essentially yeah. um they're kind of running the show, but uh, I just don't see that as being a long-term solution for this team. I don't see the two Melnick daughters owning this team for the long term. I think this is an organization that's hemorrhaged money over the past number of years, especially during the COVID times. And, you know, they've been highly leveraged. I think if you look at the interest rates that they're paying when they've refinanced this club, um, they're, they're losing money hand over fist. And how long can you keep that going before you start to dig into what your what your profits could be if you sold and eventually at some point in time i think that realistically there's going to come a time and point when this organization is going to be sold and then i think when that time comes pierre dorian's not going to be here so they're going to bring in their own people and uh, until that time he's running the show and until that time i think he's getting rid of anyone he sees as a viable threat to his position i think pierre mcguire was one of those guys is it you wrote a great piece here this week, which people can check out at uh, nickels.substack.com. We'll make sure that's in the show notes here for this episode. Um, Thanks for the plug. You got it, man. Uh, is this, what What did he do? You're right. We didn't end up seeing this public facing Pierre Maguire that we thought we were going to, but from what you've been able to ascertain, what kind of things was he doing day to day? Are there things that went on good or bad this 10 months that you can point to and say that was a Pierre Maguire initiative? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think the last public acknowledgement that we had of anything that Pierre Maguire has done was traveling the University of North Dakota with Pierre Dorian to visit Jake Sanderson and Tyler Clevin and convince them to turn pro. Right. And one of those players did. And it just seems weird, right? Because that's one of the last things he did. But at the same time, like if Pierre Dorian doesn't trust this guy, and this is relatively late in the season, and Melnick hadn't passed to this point. He brought Pierre along with him. Yep. You know, if this is a guy that you have no trust in or any long-term vision, like Melnick was obviously sick at that time, point in time. Mm-hmm. 
So to, I don't know. Maybe it's a dog and pony show. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. If if you view this person as a threat to your position or you just don't see him as a good fit, like why are you dragging him to these why are you dragging him to these events? Like why not send him to go to Belleville to to deal with the prospects in the HL or to to manage that? I, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea because for a guy who was brought in to do his media appearances, he didn't do any. You know, it's, it's been, it's been silent since September and maybe that's just the thing where it's just a power struggle for Dorian. He doesn't want anybody speaking for him or to uh, voice opinions on the direction or, or anything about this organization. He wants to be the guy and yeah, what an odd, it's interesting because (laughs) it's, it is because he's, he's struggled. I know like, you know, out of fairness to him, he's bilingual. Like his first language is, is French and he's not the most well-spoken, um, English speaker on the planet and he's struggled at times uh, trying to communicate a message. There's been a lot of misvexaging and uh, it's, it's created some frustrations in the fan base. And, you know, that one of the, one of the strengths of what McGuire had brought to the table was his communicative. Yep. And they didn't utilize that at all. And is this just another case of mismanagement or, or what have you? I, I don't know. I don't know what the inner workings are. I have no idea what the relationship was. There were rumors at times that, you know, McGuire was, was essentially a hire that was recommended the advice of the NHL to the owner. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just something I heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other things that I heard over the course of the season was that Dorian and McGuire didn't trust each other. And yeah, you know, as a guy who was brought in unilaterally by the owner, I can totally understand why Dorian would feel that way. You know, you have a guy who has some cachet, he's got some rapport around the league, this guy's knowledgeable, who has lots of connections. And yeah, maybe maybe he was a realistic candidate to take over the uh, GM helm if, if Dorian struggled this season. And now he's no longer here, so we don't really have to worry about that. But um, I just look at this week's moves is just a power grab. And I don't know if that really matters ultimately, because I don't think Dorian's going to be here that much longer either. I want to talk to you a little bit here about the, uh, the piece that uh, Ian Mendez and um, the athletic put together about Melnick here in a little bit. But before we do like one of the pe- the things that they got criticized for around that piece was it was too soon after, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Melnick's passing to be put in, putting out a piece like that. Is there any sort of blowback? You know, you're more plugged into this, you know, this fan base and, and you know, this kind of this city than I am. Is there been any sort of similar blowback about this? It was too soon to fire Melnick's guy. Has, has there been anything like that? Or was this just sort of a, not that I've seen? Yeah, no, not that I've seen. And it is what it is, right? It's a small front office. It's gotten smaller. Yeah. And now, you know, you read Bruce Garrow's piece in the post media the other day, and it's they have no desire or interest in filling the position. It's just everybody's going to pick up their boots and do a little bit more work. So it's 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 a return to the status quo. And, you know, like at the time of Pierre Maguire's hire, like I didn't think much of the hiring just because based off Pierre Maguire's views that he's, you know, that he stated on his broadcasting uh, history. Like he's not a guy who who likes analytics. He thinks they're overvalued and he's a. Uh, you know, he's a boots on the ground kind of guy. And I, I totally disagree with that opinion. And I think he was pretty entrenched in his views. Right. And I will say like one of the things that I was actually optimistic about when they brought him in is that for the first time in a long time, he was an outside hire. He was an external voice who had an opportunity to come in, voice different opinions, dissenting opinions, uh, bring something new to the organization. And, you know, for right or wrong, I, I have no idea how good a, at his job he was, but sure. 
as an outsider, like there's an opportunity for new ideas. Yeah, varying perspectives um, is never yeah, a bad varying thing. Perspectives, right. Yeah. You never want to surround yourself entirely with like-minded people. Right. Right. You want different views. You want to, you want the biggest picture possible before you can make the most informed uh, choice that you can. And, you know, for front office, it's pretty insulated. Yeah. I thought it might've been okay. And obviously it wasn't meant to be. And it, wasn't efficient and you know you read some of the articles and already you start to see like they're starting to hang some of the bad transactions that have happened in the last year on Pierre Maguire and I <laughs> for right or wrong it's it's one of the things that happens right anytime anyone leaves Ottawa for, under bad circumstances bad bad things start to leak out in the press right and it's 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 old hat I think it's for a fan base that just wants something fresh and new and exciting and they want to be invigorated about this product, it's kind of like old hat. It's like, okay, well, we're back to the status quo and how much do we trust the guys who are already here? Well, not very much. So as far as getting away from the status quo goes and trying to turn the page, you've said that maybe Pierre Magu- uh, Pierre Dorian is not long for his position, that you know, with the, the finances of the organization, maybe the Melnick daughters aren't going to be owning this for very long. But we did recently hear Gary Bettman say that the team is not for sale. Is that PR? Like, what do you think the, the disconnect is? Because obviously you're not buying that. Well, I mean, Atlanta, Winnipeg was a long time ago, but it, essentially up until the point that Winnipeg was in Winnipeg, he said, no, Atlanta's not going yeah. anywhere. So it's, it's Laurie speak. I think he's protecting an asset. Like if you let it be known that Dotto was for sale, uh, maybe the deals aren't as good. Right. Right. If it's one of those situations where it's like, well, yeah, no, they're definitely not for sale. Then it's, but you're not necessarily suggesting they're leaving just that they'll be sold. No, well, I don't think they'll ever be, be moved just because yeah. I think there's a lot of groups that want to keep the team here in Ottawa and under the uh, understanding of the Board of Governors, like they can't move the team if right. their party is interested in keeping them in Ottawa. Right. You know, there have to be no one here um, who keep them here. And as much as Quebecer wants to buy the team and move them to Quebec <laughs> City, that's not going to happen because there's a lot of interested groups that want to keep them there. So it's, it's a moot point. Are these the one of the groups that we've heard about, I believe, and maybe you can kind of explain this a little better than I would, is the is the party that is suing or was suing Melnick when the uh, LeBreton deal fell apart? Is that John correct? Group, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's one of the leaked reports. Like, I think it was Michael Trakos uh, who first reported that. Um, I, I don't know whether the lawsuit plays into that at all because you have the John Ruddy lawsuit for 700 or no, sorry, it was the Eugene Melnick lawsuit for $700 million yeah. against Ruddy and his group. And then you have John Ruddy's countersuit for a billion dollars. Right. So I don't know how much that lawsuit affects whether or not Ruddy would be the guy to get the team because if that gets. Like, I have no idea if John Ruddy won his lawsuit and won. Just give me the team. A, a preposterous <laughs> amount of money like that. Like, he'd probably just get the team because that's probably one of the only big assets that Melnick has at this point. Or right. the estate has at this point. Um, so, I I think you'd be towards the forefront if that were the case. But, um, yeah, he's certainly one of the guys who's, well, one of the publicized names that's been out there. Are there the any other weeks. well-known or recognizable names that you've heard that may be interested outside of that? I think it would be the DevCore group is one of the rumored ones, right? They've expressed interest in building the arena, even if they didn't have the team. Um, you know, that's the Guy La Liberté uh, organization. Okay. Um, but uh, it's quiet, right? The NCC has essentially uh, sworn everyone to secrecy. If you leak any information in terms of building an arena at Le Breton, you're disqualified. So um, a number of people have expressed interest 
obviously in, in building some kind of entertainment complex on that parcel of land in Le Breton. But I think until those list of names or parties become publicized, it's, it's hard to say because I think no one's going to buy this team unless they're moving downtown. Right. I, I, I think the rub with this organization is that everybody kind of recognizes that the future of the Ottawa Senators is, is at Le Breton Flats and it's not in Canada. So um, I, I think that's kind of where you have to hang your hat on. If, if, is if that, those names that door is still open, apparently. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I think the league wants that. I think the organization wants that. And I think all the uh, proponents who've submitted bids want that. They, they, they want the centers downtown and they have visions of procuring that team and, and buying them and building that rink downtown. Hill. So um, until that list becomes published, I, I we're just going to have to keep waiting for more league names. Let's talk a little bit about the hockey side of things instead of the business side of things here. Um, it was a fascinating season for the Ottawa Senators, I would call it. Um, got off to a slow start, didn't end up being as competitive as they wanted to be, but at the same time had a rough go with uh, with COVID, had a you know a pile of injuries to, to key guys over the course of the season. When you look back at this season uh, for the Senators, what is your major takeaway? Were, was this about what you expected, worse, better? Like, how, how do you kind of view this in summation? The key is, are your best players getting better? And I think unequivocally, you can say yes. I think if you look at Tim Stutzler, his development from uh, a winger who wasn't getting enough touches, who was struggling in the defensive zone, for him to transition to center because of some injuries and uh, thrive thereafter, I think that's probably the best most encouraging sign of the season. I think if you look at Drake Batherson taking his offensive game to a next level, mm-hmm. uh, especially after he signed a relatively team-friendly contract extension, I think that's a huge, huge feather in the cap of the organization. I think if you look at Josh Norris's 35-goal uh, season, um, it's. I think that's far and away, far and away outpaces whatever anyone predicted. Yes. Uh, for him when he was coming up as a prospect. I thought a lot of people project him to be like a safe floor, a third-line center who could possibly play in the top six. Mm-hmm. And I think he surpassed those as expectations. And, you know, Thomas Chabot had a nice bounce-back season. He, was, he wasn't he was very good last season. I think that's being polite. <laughs> and he had an incredibly encouraging bounce-back year. And, you know, the goaltending, Matt Murray obviously struggled. Uh, whether it was through efficient play or injuries, he just he was inconsistent. You couldn't rely on him at all. And he had a nice stretch um, from January to February, but aside from a nine-game sample, he was awful. And Anton Forsberg stepped up. Were you happy with and that, that was, extension? Uh, you know, they've been burned so many times in the past that you're kind of numb to it. Sure. <laughs> Goalies are, you know, whether, like it's whether it's to... like Mike Condon or Andrew Hammond or Anders Nilsson, like there's yeah. plenty of examples Oof. of just investing in a small sample of a backup goaltender, but, uh, there's nothing in his play to suggest that he can't continue to play that let's say percentage of 915 like that's kind of league average yeah and it's not like a horribly back-breaking not, contract either no right? like, not at all yeah. and they're kind of in a bind right because if you don't sign forsberg you're rolling the dice on murray and philip gustafson right who was a prospect who fared well down the stretch last season and he got passed around like he because of his contract he didn't start the season with the senators and then he didn't play regularly and his play suffered and when he got called up he didn't play particularly well and it was just it's kind of a victim of circumstances for the most part. And, uh, 
you know, for a guy that they probably needed to get a, a really good beat on heading into the next season, they didn't get that. And it's no fault of his own. It's just, it's just an unfortunate way that the season broke. And it is what it is, unfortunately. Do you think they start to like Dorian floated the idea of starting next season with three goalies? Do you think that's feasible? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to bury guys publicly, right? No, fair enough. Uh, and I'm assuming he's going to exhaust every trade avenue before he actually has to come to that conclusion. But um, I can't see, unless the Senators move a ton of draft capital or prospect capital, at it, I can't see anyone taking Matt Murray's contract. Right. Um, I could see a team taking a flyer on Philip Gustafson sure. for a mid round pick or something. But do you want to do that? I don't know. It might be better just to keep him and roll the dice because you can't count on Matt Murray to be healthy. Right. So when you look at this you know, the season you mentioned 35 goals for, for Josh Norris, and that's with missing significant time. You mentioned that uh, Stutzla has moved into the middle. Uh, you also have Pinto who was dinged up. Um, Colin White, I guess is still going to be around. What is the the center position, you know, moving forward look like, do you think it, it, it kind of looks like it's going to be a little full and someone's probably going to have to go. Uh, well, I call him way easy one, easy one, right? You can buy him out at one third his value, right? Okay. Uh, just because of his age, he's under twenty six. So I think that's the easy out. Although apparently there were discussions with Montreal about sending him to the Habs because Ken Hughes, right. their general manager, has familiarity with uh, Colin White. So mm-hmm. I think that's the easiest route to go. But I think you're not displacing Shane Pinto. You're not displacing Tim Stutzel. You're definitely not displacing Josh Norris. So oh. I think those are the three to start the season. Uh, at the fourth spot, you're probably looking at Mark Kastelik. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a young and relatively inexpensive group, and I think that's the way that they're going to go. It, one of the things that stood out again this season was kind of a slow start and some of it around some some veterans that, you know, eventually got had to be pushed out of the way or into better positions for them. That, and we've seen that a little bit uh, before in Ottawa with DJ Smith and, and Pierre Dorian. Is there, like, there's got to be significant pressure to get off to a much better start this year. Actually, uh, my co-host Rob and I, we have a, a a long-standing bet right now. Who's going to last longer, Sheldon Keefe or DJ Smith? And it's sort of based on, do the Leafs get out of the first round? If they don't, Keefe, you know, he, he may be in jeopardy. If the Sens have another really slow start, is DJ Smith... Uh, you know, if Keefe were to survive that long, maybe DJ Smith is back in the running to be the first one gone. Do you see this being a season where they're looking to turn the corner and he's going to have to show that he can get them up and running before, you know, maybe the Sens are at that point where you kind of have that guy that is with you while you're bottoming out and rebuilding and he gets moved out when it's time to contend. Where do you see DJ Smith? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, you think about starts of NHL seasons, they're totally unrelated. Like, 2020, 2021 is totally separated from 21, 22, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just, you're talking about arbitrary endpoints and start points. And what made Ottawa struggle out of the gate? Yeah, they had COVID issues. Yeah, they had some uh, poor goaltending. They had some uh, poor play from veterans that they were hoping that would be able to insulate their young guys. And that's, that's all true. And, I don't know. I don't know what they do to change it because, you know, they finished last season strong. They talked so much about carrying that positive momentum into the next season and it never manifested. Right. And it's just, I, I, is it a coincidence thing? Is it just a circumstance thing? I don't know. Uh, is, is DJ Smith under a lot of pressure? I think he will be. I think Pierre Dorian's under a lot of pressure. I think, you know, if, if you look at the, 
this season potentially being a swan song for the coach or the general manager. I think they're under a lot of pressure. And they're not only under a lot of pressure to prove that they can win in Ottawa, I think they have a, they're under a lot of pressure to prove that they can be um, competent um, coaches and executives in this league beyond Ottawa because if new ownership comes in, both guys are probably gone. Yeah. And, and you know, it might take time for new ownership to come in, but I can't envision a world where both of these guys are still uh, employed by Ottawa under new ownership. And I, you know, whether that's a year or two from now, I don't know, but, um, that's, that's, that's just the way I feel. And that's seems to be the general sentiment around town. The, you know, the feeling this year from a lot of people was maybe they're not quite ready for the playoffs, but that they should try and, or they should, obviously they would be trying, but they should be playing meaningful games later in the season and that didn't manifest itself we've talked about some of the reasons why with injuries and COVID and and everything else that goes into that but is it realist like how do you map this out moving into next year because I believe they finished 34 points behind Boston for the fourth slot in the Atlantic division and I do expect that Boston as they continue to age may come back to earth a little bit Um, maybe other teams that we don't expect will do the same but that is a lot of ground to make up to be in a playoff spot next year. How do you kind of see this this arc continuing for the Senators? What's realistic to predict next year? I think you got to be good and you got to be lucky. And yeah, Ottawa didn't have both this year, right? Like no, their best didn't. players were their young players. But aside from those young players, like the veterans around them let them down. They all had down years or they didn't play well, they played at a sub-replacement level standard. And uh, there's so much bad money invested in Ottawa's veterans that it's – management's under a lot of pressure. I I think this is like a make-or-break season for Dorian. Um, and I just don't know how much pressure he's under. I don't know how much pressure he feels like this is his last stand where he could go into the season thinking this is my last opportunity to prove that I can actually be a competent general manager in this league. I don't know – I don't know what he's capable of. Yeah. Because they have a lot of draft picks um, and prospect capital that they can move out. Um, you know, like Connor Brand's a free agent after this season. He's in the last year of his deal. Artem Zub's in the same boat. Are you able to get those guys under extensions? If not, are they trade bait for this offseason where they can maybe acquire guys who are under team control for longer? Like, I just don't know how this is going to go. And there's a lot of exciting pieces. I think one of the biggest areas that this team can improve in is on defense. And I think Jake Sanderson can be a huge... Uh, a piece of that puzzle sure, because yeah. he is a puck move defenseman who can, you know, he, he defends with his gap control and his active stick. And he, I think he's a guy who could absolutely positively contribute to this team's puck possession game where he can help transition the puck from offense or from defense to offense uh, efficiently. And, you know, aside from Thomas Shabbat, they haven't really had that reliable factor in the bottom four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid who's just about to enter the league for the first time. But, <laughs> Uh, they, if this team's going to be competitive and be competitive soon, they need him to step in and play at a high level right away. And that's not necessarily fair to the kid, but that's the reality of Ottawa's situation because there no is no plan B. Like plan B is Eric Branstrom, who's who played okay this season. Um, you know, puck moving is one of the things that he does okay, but his defensive aptitude isn't that strong, and he's an underside defenseman. So. Uh, there is no alternative at this point, unfortunately. And uh, Michael Delzato is not that guy either. <laughs> no, he's going to be following Pierre wherever he goes, Maguire, um, presumably. It, it, one of the things that scares you a little bit about professional evaluation or um, 
you know, professional scouting and, and these sorts of things is is that Dorian has consistently made mistakes there, right? The, the drafting has been done pretty well. The developments have been done reasonably well. But every time you turn around, there's another Travis Hamanick move or something coming in there where you're just like, I don't know what you're doing here. What is the offseason going to look like? And, and maybe specifically, you mentioned two names there. I think it makes sense that Ottawa would be interested in trying to lock Zub up. Are you interested in keeping Connor Brown around knowing that, you know, he's probably looking for a bit of a raise and he's getting a little bit older and maybe, you know, that would be a time to move on from him, um, especially knowing that DJ Smith sometimes has been guilty of playing him a little too high up the lineup. What do you make of those two guys and, and heading into the offseason here? I think Zub doesn't produce enough offensively where you could still get him at a relatively good value. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Connor Brown, you know, he had his big offensive season last year. Uh, this season he, he performed okay, but he didn't play at the same level, high level. Uh, I expected some regression in his offensive totals, but um, I think he's a guy based off the way he plays and his, you know, there is a bit of modest offensive upside with him. I think there is an opportunity to move a guy like that and get a lot back. Yeah. But I, he's one of those guys that you don't want to risk overpaying as well, right? Right. Like if you're if you're afraid of overpaying Nick Paul, you're yeah. probably over. You're probably afraid of overpaying for Connor Brown as well, right? And it's, I, I could see him being, I could see Connor Brown being part of a package where you bring in a bigger, bigger, better player. Mm-hmm. If you surround Connor Brown with like prospect capital to get a guy that's really good. So as we sit here today, the, uh, the draft lottery went uh, last night and Ottawa will be picking at seven. Um, you know, m- as you as Ottawa looks for for what I assume will be some help on the the wing in the top six, um, would you consider moving that pick and maybe a guy like Connor Brown or or some other prospects or picks? Like, do you think that pick will be in play to try and improve them, or will they want to you know draft at seven? I think it depends on how desperate Dorian is to make this team competitive next year. Um, you know, the draftsman panned as not being one of the most uh, talent-laden in the top 10, yeah. but there's still good players available. So I think there definitely could be that opportunity to move that pick. But at the same time, you know, Dorian, and I mentioned this on Twitter today, like he has a reputation for trading like high prospect capital or valuable draft picks, you know, whether they pan out or not. <laughs> um, he's traded those guys for veterans who are either in the diminished return stage of their career or they just don't have a lot of term left which gives them a ton of leverage when it comes to contract negotiations sorry contract negotiations yeah and they haven't been able to sign those guys like matt duchene was a perfect uh example of that where he had a great season in ottawa and then he wanted out right um so i think you never know who's available, right? I think, you know, sitting here trying to be armchair quarterback, uh, should they or shouldn't they? I think it depends on what's available, obviously. And without knowing that, um, I think if you can get a good young player who's under team control, who's locked up for the next few years or, you know, has a bunch of RFA years left on their on uh, on their status, I suppose, uh, that's the kind of move that you make. Um, but, I mean, if you're trading for an RFA who has like a year or two left, before he tests unrestricted yeah. free agency. I think that's that's a deal that the Ottawa should totally avoid. And it's hard. I think, you know, it, depending on how long it takes for new ownership to come in, if this team's budget's not going to increase significantly, you want as many good, young, cheap assets as possible. So for Ottawa, the value of this pick probably outweighs a lot of the stuff that may be, that may be available in the trade market. 
And that's really got to weigh on the mind of the uh, general manager. And if it doesn't, then it's completely negligent. Do you believe then, you know, maybe outside of the pick, come free agency, come the trade market, whatever they might be prepared to give up, is is top six help on the wing the number one goal for this offseason? Short term, yes, obviously. I think like Connor Brandt's status impacts that as well. He's only got one year left. Yeah. Um, and behind Drake Batherson on the right side, the only prospect who might be close is Igor Sokolov. Mm-hmm. And there's no guarantee that he'll be a top six guy at the NHL level. Um, so ideally, yeah, if you could find a top six right winger or even a top six left winger, um, that would be fantastic. But um, I don't know. Like, I don't know enough about this year's draft class to like safely project whether a winger who will be available at seven would be able to play in the league and be productive in like two years. Yeah. It's an interesting spot that they're in because I, you know, to me, whether they keep them or not, Connor Brown is, is best suited as, as kind of a third line guy. And maybe, maybe being in the, on that second line is a little too high for him, although he has shown at times he can do it. So sort of, and maybe there's names I'm missing or guys I'm not thinking of behind Batherson and Kachuk, there's sort of spots on both sides there on that second line that kind of need upgrading or need filling, it would appear. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that at all. Um, Like I'm not sold on Alex Formanton as a top six guy. I I just don't see enough. Uh, He's a great individual threat. I think, you know, from the defensive blue line to the offensive zone, his rush opportunities and ability is fantastic. He creates a lot of individually just based off his speed. Mm -hmm. Um, but his ability to create off of nothing is, it's not a top six level. He's a very good player, but he's, I think he's best suited for a third line uh, PK role. Yeah, I think you're and, pretty happy with a third line that has him and Connor oh, Brown absolutely. on it, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I, that would be an anchor. That would be an anchor third line on a very good team. It's just, is Ottawa comfortable paying Connor Brown that price to be around long term? I don't know, because he's probably looking at four and a half, five million dollars yeah. probably on this next deal. Yeah. And I think those are the kind of pitfalls that you try and avoid as a general manager because you're trying to keep all your young guys happy and and you got young guys coming through the system might be able to replace them in two years. So it's 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 not an enviable it's not enviable. No. It's <laughs> like, a it's, lot of a lot of tough decisions to, and the fan base not easy to decision. Yeah, and the fan base is kind of here going like we're supposed to be in the middle of our five years of unparalleled success, right? And even outside right. of that kind of anchor quote that gets thrown around, it is time to turn the corner. Like, and, and whether you can convince free agents to come or not to what is right now a, a, an organization with a little bit of uncertainty around it, uh, or whether it has to be by trade. Like, in my opinion, this group just waiting on these guys, and there are some young pieces here that look like they're going to be very good. I don't think they alone with another year's development is enough to close that 30, 34 point difference. They need significant help if they're going to get in the mix next year. No. And I think the other frustrating part is that this young core is entering its prime, right? A lot of these guys are 22 years of age or yeah, I think Thomas Shabbat's 26. So I think, you know, you look statistically, an NHL player's prime is from 22 to 27. Right. And the longer Ottawa misses the postseason over the next year or two years, it just shortens the window of this team at its peak. So you want these, you want your best players to be in their window when this team is at its highest point. Yeah. And, you know, the longer that you muddle at the bottom of the standings, struggling to insulate these guys with talent, uh, 
it's more of a wasted opportunity that you have with this core and it's got to get fixed. And it's, it's one of those positions that you're kind of concerned that the organization is going to like trade a lot of draft capital, try and capitalize the window, bet on the wrong players and just undo everything that you've done well over the last couple of years. And that's just my concern. I am, uh, I am very familiar with the idea of the shrinking <laughs> window and, uh, and wasted opportunities. Well, it's like Edmonton, right? Yeah. It's and Buffalo. It's just this failure to surround yourself with good talent. And then you wind up trading a lot of draft capital for players who are inconsequential. Right. And, you know, you look at some of the assets as Ottawa's given away over the years, you just, you just kind of shake your head. Yeah. Well, even, you know, sitting here, as we sit here right now, Toronto is up three to two. I've watched year after year after year of these guys in their prime getting kind of pissed away, right? And yeah, I, they're getting in, but, but they're. And know. I had this conversation with a guy last night at work. Yeah. And the, one of the things about this league that you have to understand is that, you know, you look at how many good teams are in the league right now. Like, how many very good to elite teams would you say are in the league this year? Six? Six to eight. They all can't win. Nope. Right. They like five very, very good teams. A lot of them will get out of the first round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just based off the based off the way that the playoffs are structured, very good teams are going to get bounced first round. That's just the nature of it right now. And that shouldn't diminish how you view that team. I find myself like calling it for the European model, right? So look how great of a regular season we had. Did we really care yeah, about these couple yeah. weeks in the spring? Yeah. Yeah. You want the president's trophy. That's the big thing. Florida's sitting at home yeah. pointing up that banner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, like you look at Ottawa in the early 2000s, you look at Vancouver, you look at San Jose, like organizations that have really good stretches with really long windows of contention. They never got over the hump. It shouldn't diminish what those organizations accomplished. Yeah, as well, a group, you know, it's it's. it's I think that's really it. Like, difficult. just be good for as long as yeah. you can, right? And it took. Yep. Washington and St. Louis did eventually get there, but it took a long time. And in oh, both absolutely. cases, you were sort of like, I don't know, that window might be closed, right? Like, oh, you have to be good and you have to be lucky. Yeah, and it's just the right circumstances all have to fall into place, and then that's that's all you can hope for. Right, and I'm just concerned that if. It depends on what Dorian's philosophy is. If he keeps going young, if he keeps going inexpensive with his prospects and just keeps hoarding talent and and hoping it all culminates with a good core that he can build moving forward, and maybe that's maybe that's the best way to go. But I'm just concerned that this could be a station in his in his career where he just says, you know what, this might be my last kick of the can. I'm just going to trade for a bunch of short term assets and then. That'll be my last shot. We'll see what happens. But I got to feel like if I'm being honest with you, his job security right now is I, like until the team is sold, I probably feel bulletproof. I don't think they're going to fire me like this board of directors that's currently overseeing things. I don't think they're going to fire me and, and pay someone else and me. Well, no, not if they not if they allow him to fire McGuire, right? Yeah, I, I think for so, now he he's sort of running the show. And but how long does that last? Well, that's you'd be better qualified to answer that than me, right? <laughs> Six months, two years, who knows, right? Like, I just can't see it going on that long. Okay, and we'll see. That's we'll intriguing see. too. That uh, this may be right around the corner, something coming. Um, if I were a better interviewer, I would have asked you this earlier on when we were sort of more on the topic. But we did mention there, or I did off the top the. Uh, the piece that Ian Mendez, Katie Strang, and uh, Dan Robson put out in The Athletic following um, Melnick's passing, uh, to be fair, they had been working on it for a very long time before he passed away. And it obviously was 
uh, a fairly controversial piece, but it was very well put together, uh, talked about um, some of the things that had been going on around the organization under his stewardship. Um, it's also didn't shy away from pointing out his more charitable side and the things that were important to him. But they took a blasting from a lot of people that why would you publish that, like whatever it was, two weeks after his passing. Uh, journalistically speaking, and I know you know Ian a bit, we do hear a little, you know him better than we do, but uh, just, you know, in general, what were your thoughts on the piece and and the timing of it? Did you have a problem with that? No. Yeah. Don't have a problem with it at all. Um, you know, I... I Melnick was a controversial guy. I think, you know, if you're one of the guys uh, or if you're affiliated with a group that he was a proponent for, I think he was probably one of the nicest guys in the world. He mm-hmm. would support you. Um, but, you know, if you if you supported stuff that he disagreed with, he would crack back. And I think you saw that in the article. And, you know, rumors had dogged him for years in Ottawa. And I think this this article shed a light on that. And it's not like this article was written over the course of like three months or four months or five months. Like this was this took the better part of almost two years. Yeah. Um, and is it better to publish an article like that when he's in like palliative care? No. Right. Is it better to publish it two weeks after? I don't know. Is it better to publish five months after when it's no longer an issue or people just don't care that much about Melnick now that he's further removed from the organization. I don't know. Is there ever a good time to publish an article like this? Probably not. I think you're always going to have those detractors who say this is tasteless. This isn't, this is unseemly and, and everything else. But I think, you know, if you look at the root of that article, like these, these three journalists dug deep and, and found corroborated stories and pointed out a lot of the shortcomings of the organization and just the mismanagement and just the treatment of employees. And, um, were you surprised by anything sh- by it? Uh, no, I actually thought it was the opposite. I thought it was more tame than it, wow. than I anticipated. Hmm. Um, I think there was some stuff that was left out. I think he meant as mentioned as much, uh, and some of his subsequent interviews after the piece was released, but, right. It's it's one of the situations where I don't think anyone who really followed this organization closely over the last ten years was that surprised. It was really just shone a light on, oh, okay, this this actually confirms a lot of the stuff that we've been hearing. To me, uh, the team this this may be a terrible thing to say, and it has nothing to be, to do with Eugene Melnick as a human being. I've never mm-hmm. met him, but I do feel like the Ottawa Senators as an organization are more stable right now than they were before he passed. And you're less attached to the whims of one man. And, you know, whether he does decide, I have no idea whether it would have been possible or not, but he decides I want to up and move my team somewhere else, or I'm going to hire and fire at will. I feel like with him out of the picture, the team, the organization may be better off and more stable and and more likely to succeed here than it was under his stewardship. I definitely think that there's like a volatility that's removed. Yes. There's that kind of like uh, powder keg. There's you totally remove him from the equation. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> but it's, in, in saying that I, I don't think we're far removed from anything. I think there's a lot of the status quo. I think the like, you look at the board of governors or the board of directors that are overseeing the Ottawa senators right now. I think they're all people who have long, long associations with the owner. Uh, lots of guys who have no uh, hockey background. They have bioavail backgrounds, right. or legal backgrounds. And um, 
I, I think it's Pierre Dorian's show to run. And for better or worse, that's just kind of the reality of the situation. And we're just going to have to live with that, unfortunately. For now. For now. I'd be uh, I'd be remiss before we wrap up here if I didn't ask you what's caught your eye in the first round here so far as we sit here on Wednesday afternoon. We got a, a couple teams with a chance to, uh, I think Pittsburgh can close out tonight. Uh, a couple other games that uh, LA has pushed Edmonton to the brink. Toronto's pit, uh, pushed Tampa to the brink uh, what have you thought of the first round? What's got your eye so far? Uh, Edmonton, LA is always fun just because it's like you're watching how everyone kind of views McDavid, Dreisaitl, competitive window. Um, <laughs> so there's like the freak going on, obviously facing LA, who's the lower seed. Um, Minnesota, St. Louis has been really good. Uh, I've been surprised by the Pittsburgh, New York series just yeah. in terms of how many goals the Pittsburgh's hung on uh, Shesterkin. I think uh, they, I think Sid's got nine points in what is it four or five games at this point? Like yeah, games. he's he's had and a you, hell of a. But you, you know what's funny is like you look at the Eastern Conference and you're like, man, there's some really good teams out there. You look at like Florida, Toronto, Tampa, and you never like how do you write off Sidney Crosby? Right, you know, like he's so good and you can carry a team. And well, I took a look at the fact that they were like, using uh, Louis Domingue and went, I'm going to write yeah. them off. And apparently that yeah. was a foolish. So. But it's amazing, like like. He's in his late thirties now. Like he's yeah. still carrying the team, and it's just dynamic talent. Honestly, just dynamic, and he's older, and you know he should be in the declining stages of his career, and he's still carrying teams, and it's unbelievable to watch. Yeah, unbelievable to watch. But uh, it's been an entertaining first round, and one of the highest scoring first rounds I think in history. Right. So, except for Calgary, Dallas, where <laughs> which has been a great series as well. Sure, right? like, but it is not something you would write home as a uh, highest scoring series of all time or anything, <laughs> especially early on. But uh, that one to me has been the only one I, I've had a hard time getting into it. it. There's no doubt it's been competitive. It's just, I know I can flip the channel and see Kaprizov doing something wild or see what the <laughs> Panthers are up to or something. So it's been hard to keep eyes on that one. But yeah, the that Edmonton LA game on, uh, on Tuesday night, um, had a little bit of everything, and it seemed like the Oilers were down and out, and they, their stars come back and, and tie it up, only to get put down in, in overtime. Man, that's obviously... It was like I've, the opposite of the Leafs game. It was, which was also uh, a, a little tense in my house, I would, I would call <laughs> a it. A little tense? A little tense. Your pucket? Fully yeah, puckered? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, my Apple Watch asked me if I would like to start a workout because my heart rate had elevated so high. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, just sitting here. <laughs> but yeah, that uh, that Edmonton LA, or yeah, it, it's, I, I didn't think LA would really have it in them to push Edmonton the way they have. And now that, uh, you know, the pressure's firmly back on the other, certainly they could come back and, and get it done. But man, the oh, pressure even just there the, is wild. If Edmonton lost, can you imagine the media meltdown? Oh my God. Like the media landscape in Edmonton, it's insane, fantastic. Yeah. it's like a melting pot it's, of like. It's more oh, interesting what kind than of the hot team takes. Yeah. What kind of hot takes are going to come out of this? And yeah. that's what I'm kind of hoping for. It'd be refreshing, Mark Spector and Jim stay. Matheson's Twitter oh. feeds all day. Oh, <laughs> just, yeah, between Spector and Matheson, you're just like, oh god, this is just this could be a melting pot of awesomeness. I think people will be a little pissy if it uh, oh. if it goes down. There, so. Oh. Yeah, Toronto and, yeah. and Tampa, that's been the other one that, uh, you know, hasn't looked, I thought it would be tight. I thought the series would be long. This hasn't looked anything like I thought it would with Toronto just pounding them in game one, uh, Tampa pounding Toronto in game four. 
Um, you know, game five looked like it was over and done midway through the first period and Toronto was going to do that thing they do where they just sort of, ah, well, fade away. Uh, That one's been wild too, man. It's been crazy to watch. I've always been a proponent of believing that in the playoffs, once you get in, you need a tough series that pushes you, like mentally and physically, just to kind of take your game. Keeps pushing us right out. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this goes back to our point, like to, to win the Stanley Cup, you need to beat some exceptional teams. Like yeah. facing Boston that consistently, like that's not easy. Yeah. I know it's easy to dump on Toronto, but like Boston's yeah. been a very good organization for a long time. It's true. And if I'm being honest with you, I guess it was, was it also on Tuesday night or maybe it was Monday night, I guess, that uh, that it looked like the Caps had Florida. Uh, on the ropes. Yeah, and, and basically it was going to be 3-1. And as someone who's maybe looking ahead a little too much as a Leaf fan, I'm going, okay, I'd much rather, if we get through this, see the Caps than the Panthers. And so I was wicked disappointed to see the Panthers tie that up. Uh, Hathaway misses the empty net. Panthers tie it up, win in overtime. Like, everything's just been, this has been a really exciting first round. It's been hard not to, I think it was Saturday they had games all day from like one o'clock through uh, through midnight or whatever it was, and I just TV was on all day. Oh, I know, and it's fast hockey, right? Yeah. Like the pace of play is just it's exceptional. And like I went to that Florida Panthers Ottawa game; uh, it was their second last game of the season. And you know, pa- the Panthers rested their five best players, like Mackenzie Weger, yeah. Aaron Eichleiber out, and then uh, Huberto, Barkov, and Giroux were held out. And Florida's pace of play was unbelievable. It was awesome to watch. And man, yeah, it, it's kind of humbling, right? Like you shouldn't invest too much in one game, obviously. But watching Ottawa play them, you're like, okay, so this is this is the President's Trophy contender. Yeah. We've got some, and steps they to ultimately take. claimed it. Oh man, <laughs> just the pace of play. Like you watch the third and fourth lines, you're like, holy Christ! Like these guys can yeah. distribute the puck. They're in the right places, and it's just like the puck's getting moved down low. Then it's get thrown into the slot before anyone can react, and then it's top shelf, and you're just like, what just happened? Yeah. It was in the in the blink of the eye, but um, yeah, the hockey's so good right now, man. Like, there's so many good teams, so many good players, and it's just it it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the pace of play right now. Well, last thing I'll hit you with then, since you brought up the name and uh, it, it slipped my mind earlier, Claude Giroux was probably half the reason that uh, that some of the people in the stands were there that night was to see him, and uh, and he sat out. There has been rumblings all year. That uh, would he consider coming home? Would he be a guy that maybe would fit that top six wing role uh, here in Ottawa? Um, maybe he's chasing a cup. Maybe he's looking to come home. Uh, do you think there's a fit there? And is that the type of guy you would be happy to see Ottawa go out and look at? 100%. There's absolutely a fit. I think you and I talked earlier about the vacancies on the second line, whether it's left wing, right wing, what have you. Um, absolutely a fit. I think he's still, you know, he's. 36 i believe i think that's right maybe 37 um i i he's still playing at a relatively high level and assuming this isn't like a patrick marlowe contract where you're giving that guy like six and a half seven mil (laughs) for too um, long yeah for too long um i think there's definitely an opportunity to fit him into the top six he can be a leader he's played a leadership role on on some clubs uh philadelphia and florida obviously um, I think he'd be a good fit. He's a local guy who understands the market. I think he understands the media. Um, he understands, I, I definitely think he understands the youth that this organization has and, and where the future lies. I think, he, you know, you could sell this organization being like, Hey, here's Brady Kachuk. Here's Josh Norris. Here's Tim Stutzla. 
here's Drake Batherson. You want to play with all these guys? Right. Here you go. Here's their offensive prime. You can still play at a relatively high level playing with these guys, and you're insulated from that perspective. And I think if you point at the prospect of new ownership and a new rank coming down the pipeline, whether that's like three, four, five years away, you know, like here's a local guy who, if he wants to be local, he's a guy that you can offer a job to post playing career. Right. Yeah. You know, like he could be the Maple Leafs version of Jason Spezza. Sure. You know, um, who I thought would be a great fit post career with the Leafs, but I think he'll probably wind up staying in Toronto. But um, yeah, if there's an opportunity to keep a guy like that in the fold post uh, post playing, like that'd be fantastic for Ottawa. And um, do you think then, like, are you pulling for the Panthers? Like, is there a better chance of him coming here? If I he don't gets think it matters. Job? No, honestly, like I, I, I think I've tried to communicate this on Twitter. It's like I don't think it matters. Like, you know, I, I've read, you know, some of the. Some of the insiders saying, like, yeah, you know, he wants to win a cup. He's going to play for a cup. But it's like, well, honestly, there's only how many good teams in the league? Six. And you're going to throw a dart at the board and hope one of those teams wins that year. Like, it's Probably not. Shoot. Yeah. It is. And one injury can derail the season. So would you rather play somewhere that you're familiar with and know? Or would you rather just roll the dice and play on a team where something bad could happen? I don't know. I don't know what his motivations are. Um, I think the Senators have a lot to offer. Yeah. And, you know, if, if he's serious about playing here and, you know, whether it's this year, next year or whatever, um, I think I definitely think there's room for him. It's just a matter of making everything work and ensuring that there's enough money left over and none of the young kids get squeezed dead down the line because that's what kind of screwed Toronto with Patrick Marlowe. Sure did. Um, Seth Jarvis would look really good in the Leafs uh, uniform right wouldn't now. Wouldn't he though? Yeah. See, I had to get that in. Thank you. I, I appreciate had to get that, that very no much. No problem. Um, <laughs> you know what? Uh, what do you think? Two years, five million, like something like how? I don't know because yeah. Ottawa, like Ontario taxes, right? Yeah, like they're taking what forty percent. Yep, sure are. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it, it's a great question. I uh, I don't know. He's made a lot of money in Philadelphia. I don't know. Maybe his maybe his financial aspirations are less. I don't know. Or maybe he wants a front loaded deal. Where you know back diving deal might make more sense to the team down the road. I have no idea. Right. I don't even know how much money is available to the Senators right now. Yeah, no. they said they're not spending the cap, but they got Alex Formanton and Drake uh, Drake Batherson. They have Josh Norris and Alex Formanton to get signed this offseason. I'm assuming those guys will come in at close to nine, ten million. Mm-hmm. So right there, you know, you only have what ten million more to spend. Right. So you sign a clutcher for that. Well, you're you're running out of money pretty quick quick unless you start uh, moving some of those bad contracts which is going to cost you draft pick capital and money so it's difficult be, to offseason uh, hey, it's, it, I think this is probably one of the biggest offseasons in the team's history and I know I've been saying that the last couple of years but more so than ever this team needs to get competitive quick and well it's going to be one of the most interesting offseasons either way right like is there an ownership to change do we start to hear more about that like and on top of what's going to happen around the team I, I think the next few months around Ottawa are going to be fascinating. Oh, for sure. And if Dorian has a great offseason, I'm not saying it can't happen. Like yeah. if he has a fantastic offseason, maybe he looks more presentable than the next group coming in. Sure. Uh, you never know how it'll pan out. Tell the people about Roman a day where they can find your work. Uh, you can find my work at gnichols.substack.com. And uh, Matt, thank you so much for having me on. Always appreciate it, man. Great to talk uh, hockey. Great to have a craft beer or two. And, uh, you know, now that the world's open up again, Try and get one of these in uh, in person if we can here. And the, the I know carp isn't as far as I like to say it is. You're telling me so. Uh, 
we, we can get something <laughs> like that done. All right. No, I'd absolutely love to do an in-person one. That'd be awesome. Uh, for Graham Nichols, my name is Matt Robinson. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Talk and Audio. Make sure you give us a follow there. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now. And uh, we will catch you all. Don't forget, late Thursday night, Maddie Lang and I will be back with uh, with more post-game action <laughs> reaction. The Leafs will either be moving on or we'll be uh, elevating my heart rate again by creating a Game 7 situation. So uh, lots more great stuff to come. And I should remind everybody also on Sunday, Graham Creech and Steve Bunda will be on the podcast and uh, we'll talk about whatever's topical. That would be the day after a Game 7, should it come to that. God help us all. Uh, my name is Matt Robinson for Graham Nichols. We'll see you all next time. It is over! Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TallCanAudio.com or by searching TallCanAudio on your favorite podcast app.